This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Previously on Winglings, Will, Magborn, and Little M made it to the port village of Crow. Once there, Will headed for the twisty-tailed Todd Inn, while Magborn worked to repair the ship from the damage caused by the fighting waves. Upon arrival, Will discovered that the Dark had followed the call of the ink eel poison in his leg and were patrolling the village looking for him. With a little help from his Zaxlin sword, Gabriel, he was able to avoid them and make it to the inn where he ate a heaping plate of Queen Ink Eel, the only cure to the poison. 
Scarfing it down just before the dark could find him, Will tried to sneak out unseen. But on his way out, he ran into his friend Timothy Toad. Last he'd seen him was at the Fragrant Falls, where he'd promised to go searching for Will's parents. Speaking of which, Will found his parents at the inn working. Will and Tim quietly snuck his parents out of the village and led them to the port, only to find Magborn and his ship, the Jolly Leafer, gone. Stranded at the dock, Will discovered that his parents didn't remember a thing, not even him or his baby sister. And now for episode 7, The Tulip Kingdom. Tim, if this is one of your ridiculous jokes, it's not funny, I said, poking him in the chest. Tim raised his webbed hands. I promise, Will, it's no goof. I tried to tell you they don't remember a blooming thing. What don't we remember? Ma chimed in. She and Dad looked like they were about to have a fit. A horrible shriek followed by angry howls sounded in the village. Surely the minions had discovered by now that they'd lost my scent and that we were getting away. The patrol covered enough of Crow that they'd find us sooner rather than later. Marching shapes were starting to take form in the fog. I had to think quick. You hear that? I said. That's the sound of bad things coming to get us. Coming to get you, maybe, Daz said uneasily. You're with me, which means they're coming to get us. Now, clearly there's no sense in trying to explain everything to you right now, so you have to make a choice. Go back and fall into their hands where they'll do light nose to you, or come with us to the Temples of Light. My parents' eyes widened at the words. Tim chuckled. <laughs> Temples of Light, good one, Will. Oh, you're serious? They're real, I told them. I've seen where they are on a magical map. I don't have it with me, but thank the light, I still remember the way, or at least the general direction. We stay here, there's no telling what the dark will do to us. We try for the temples, and well, you've all heard the stories. Tim frowned. Exactly, Will. Stories. That's all they are. You can't honestly be fixing to drag us through the wild with nothing but your spotty memory of someone's map. Let's hop back for just a second. Maybe we can reason with these creatures. Offer them something of value. Will, there's more hope in a flake of pixie than there is wandering about searching for something that don't exist. A flake of pixie's all the hope we'll need, I said. Besides, we have this. I unsheathed Gabriel and held him up. The blade shimmered in the dark, foggy night. Its green vine inscription glowed as it wound up the thin line of gold. There was a quiet gasp. We could hear the minions' footsteps now. They were almost upon us. Follow me and I will protect you, all of you, with my life, I said. Tim, Ma, and Da looked at each other and then nodded. Before the minions reached the port, we were gone. I didn't lie about remembering the map and the general direction to the Temples of Light, but I may have exaggerated my confidence just a smidge. We headed northeast, which took us into the swamplands that followed the eastern channel. For most of the journey, we walked in order not to call attention to ourselves. Occasionally, when it appeared we were truly all alone, we flew, but we could only do so for a short time, 
Someone had to carry Tim when we flew, and Tim is no small fellow. He eats as much as an entire family of toads, and then some. Even trading off carrying him wore on us quickly. I had enough to lug around as it was. I looked at my parents as they walked in silence. They were tired and confused, hardly the vibrant, outspoken pair I'd left back at the fragrant falls. I wished more than anything for them to remember me, to remember M and our noble family quest to take her to safety. I had to remind myself that I was lucky just to have them, that eventually I'd find a way to make them better, and after that I'd have their help, which I desperately needed. My thoughts drifted to Magborn, how he'd left me for dead and crow, and all that time I saw him as our protector, my mentor. I trusted him completely, even considered him a friend. Why did he leave? Or perhaps he was taken. The new question filled me with hope. I wanted more than anything for that to be the reason. The dark minions were widespread. It was possible they marched along the port, forcing him to set sail to avoid being caught. Then again, I didn't see any minions upon our return. Wherever he was, I hoped he had come to his senses and was trying to find us. He was the one who was supposed to be the guide, not me. Tracking them wasn't easy, Tim whispered, breaking the silence. It didn't take long for the Lunars to figure out I was on their trail. They kept splitting up on their journey and breathed out this real foul smoke when they knew I was close. It was black and stinky. That bit always set me back some, but I kept on. It's hard to track winged creatures when you don't have none yourself. Lucky for me, Lunars always light a big fire when they set up camp. I got to Crow and found them just a day before you got there. Chance finding you there. How'd you cross the ocean? I asked. I stuck aboard their ship just before they set off. Oh, you should have seen it, Will. The ship was something straight out of the stories we'd hear told around pixie campfires. Jagged, black, ripped, shaped like a horned creature from the underworld, and it smelt like a great big pile of bat dung. Well, they are bat-winged lunas. It makes sense. I put my hand on his shoulder. Thank you for following them. He put his long, rubbery arm over me. That's what friends are for. He reached over to tickle M. Boy, Pixie, you're a cutie. Goochie, goochie, goo. Ouch! I swatted his hand away. I just got her to sleep, you big galoot, I said. Tim nursed his hand. Touchy, touchy. We journeyed deep into the swamps. Enormous bald cypress trees stretched up and disappeared into the fog above, their roots winding in and out of the mossy ground, some connecting to the roots of the other trees, making odd shapes like what appeared to be a root cage. Another looked like a heart, an even bigger one like a series of loop-de-loops. A thick stink hung in the air, the smell of standing water littered with bacteria and parasites. What made it worse was the stagnant humid air not a breeze to be found. The only upside to the swamps were the fireflies. There must have been thousands of them. The little glowing backsides flickered over the water and swirled around the branches and winding roots. A big mosquito came buzzing up to see if it could get any blood out of us. You'd think fairies would be terrified of mosquitoes. After all, they're ginormous to us. But usually they don't bother with fairies. 
We only have enough blood to satisfy them for a minute or so. This one must have been real desperate. Tim's tongue shot out and snatched it before it could get too close. You're welcome, Tim said with a mouthful. As we walked, I looked up at Mother Moon. She told me about the swamps once, after I'd asked her what they were when I'd heard about them in the Spindler's Tales. She told me they were shallow bodies of water, usually found in moist climates, surrounded by lush vegetation, tall grass, shrubs, and trees. Most are found along major rivers, others on the shores of large lakes. She told me about the vast wildlife that called these places home. I hadn't believed her until I saw it with my own eyes. Frogs, bugs, birds, turtles, even an alligator. Unless it was just a floating log, it was too dark to tell. After passing by the largest of the swamps, we crawled through a tangle of roots and got to our feet. Before us was the most beautiful pond I'd ever seen. Thick, bald cypress trees surrounded it like sentinels. Little twig huts floated along on giant lily pads. In front of them were little stick posts holding a lantern of pixie fire. On the far end of the pond, floating on a log, was a beautiful palace. Moss and glowing mushrooms covered its bark walls all the way up to the highest tower. Fireflies danced around the pebbled roof. Growing out of almost everything were colorful tulips. The blue, orange, red, and pink flowers sprouted up out of the lily pads, logs, and tree roots. Every so often, fireflies would dip down into them, making their petals shine their brilliant color. It can't be, I finally said. Ma was as stunned as I was. By Pixie, it's the Tulip Kingdom! How'd you find it? Dad asked. I shrugged. I wasn't looking for it. I don't remember seeing it on the map. Come on, let's see if they can help. We hopped on to one of the giant lily pads that had floated ashore and pushed off. Tim picked up the stick holding the pixie lantern and held it out to light our way while I paddled. Our pad drifted smoothly through the pond, passing by the floating twig huts. Little silver-haired heads occasionally poked out of doorways and circular windows to see who was approaching. They whispered quietly to one another. By the time we reached the palace, the whole pond was buzzing with quiet chatter. When we made it to shore, I rested my hand on my Zaxlin. Gabriel's words came clearly into my mind. Don't forget your spells, Will. Trust in your power. Of course, my spells! I'd almost forgotten. I pulled out my book and quail quill from my pack. What are you stopping for? Tim asked. Now, of all times, you choose to start journaling. A spell, Tim. I'm writing a spell. Tim's eyes grew big. You can write spells now? How in the light did you learn to do that? I ignored him and closed my eyes. I imagined myself restoring my parents' memory. When I opened my eyes, I quickly scribbled the first word that came to mind. Tim, realizing I wasn't kidding, was starting to get serious. Um, Will, what kind of spell are you planning on conjuring? Will. I closed my eyes again and called the pixie to me. The pixie was heavy in the air. Its clear and abundant presence filled the pond. Its power buzzed around me. I breathed it in easily. 
Then, holding my hand out towards my confused parents, I said, Restoro! Water gushed up out of the pond and splashed my parents in the face hard, leveling them to the ground. Tim burst into laughter. <laughs> That's a good one, that is. Mean, but good. I like that trick. Teach me how to do it. Oh, quiet, you. I wasn't trying to be mean. I was trying to bring their memory back. I didn't think it would control the water. Are you two okay? I helped my parents to their feet. What in the name of Pixie was that all about? Daz said, wiping the water from his face. I'm sorry, I said. I was trying to help you remember me, but obviously I failed. I almost cried, which was enough to keep my parents from scolding me. Dear child, stop with that, Ma pleaded. We've told you we've never known you. Just take us somewhere safe and let it be. Tim had stopped laughing. I could tell he was finally starting to piece together the seriousness of the situation. He walked over to me. They're never going to remember, Will. The dark magic is too strong. They must have been hit by one powerful curse. Or several, for all we know. I clenched my teeth. I got it out of me. I can get it out of them. And with that, I marched up to the castle. Guarding the door were two silver-haired fairies dressed in blue armor. They were engaged in heated conversation, but stopped abruptly when they saw our approach. They looked surprised to see us. "'Who goes there? How did you get here? What business have you here?' one of them asked in rapid succession. He pointed his red curved sword at us. "'My word! Which question do you want me to answer first? I replied. "'Who goes there?' the guard repeated slowly. "'My name is Willem Wingling of the Daffodil Clan. This is my friend, Timothy Toad, my baby sister Emerald, and my parents, Walter and Alita.' <clears throat> we're not his parents, Das said under his breath. What's that? the guard asked. Nothing, I assured him. We wish to speak to your council if they will grant us an audience. The two guards turned to each other and chatted incessantly. I'd heard about how chatty the tulips could be, but all this time I'd thought it was an exaggeration. It wasn't. Their words flowed like a steady stream, constantly jumping to another, barely giving the other room to step in with a word of their own. Yet somehow they did it. They conversed like a quick-step dance. I couldn't imagine how the brain had time to process so many words so quickly, let alone say them. After a brief conversation amongst themselves in which they probably recited an entire book, they turned back to us. This way. Do not wander, do not speak unless granted permission, do not touch anything, watch or step the floors which is clean. The council will not be held liable for any personal injury, both physical and emotional, that is inflicted while on palace grounds. And so the guard's never-ending words trailed on as he led us through the palace doors. Inside, the tall bark walls were lined with colorful glowing mushrooms. The recently cleaned floor was made from glazed tiles, adorned with carefully painted tulips. Thousands of them were in the great hall alone. All around us, noble tulip fairies fluttering about, dressed in blue, stopped their feverish chatting just long enough to look us over. The guards led us to a great room in the west wing. In the middle of it was a single giant mushroom that had grown up out of the ground upside down. It glowed various colors that reflected off bark walls covered in hardened sap. Around the inside of the mushroom's thin top sat the council members, 
all dressed in royal blue with their silver hair done up in extravagant and unwieldy styles. Sitting above them in a throne at the top of the stem was the Tulip Queen. She wore a stunning blue dress with a collar made of real tulip flowers. She had a pale face, only her eyes noticeable from an excess of dark eyeliner. Her big silver hair came to an elaborate bun just above her forehead. The guards closed the door behind us. "'Your time to speak starts now, Willem Wingling,' the Queen said. "'Don't be surprised I know your name. Word travels quickly in the Tulip Kingdom. The second you made yourself known, the word spread through my halls. So quicken to the point, young one.' "'Your Majesty,' I bowed. "'To be completely honest, it wasn't our intention to come to the Tulip Kingdom,' I explained. "'We happened upon it by chance. We are on our way to the Temples of Light.' With that, the council erupted into a quiet chatter. "'Silence, you fools, or we'll never hear the rest of it!' the queen scolded. Her collar flowers shriveled a little with her harshness. She turned her attention back to me. "'Why do you seek the Temples of Light? Have you not heard it lay in ruins? If it is healing power you seek, you will not find it there.' "'It is not healing power I seek, your highness, but safety, a refuge for the surviving queen of the Daffodil Clan.' "'Surviving queen?' The Tulip Queen looked us over, puzzled. Word has reached me that your Queen has passed on, a victim of the cruelties of the Dark. Have you not heard the news? The Dark has been waging a war against all the clans, trying to strip them of their royalty and rob them of their pixie power. The Orchids to the north were just recently attacked themselves by the Lunas, forced into hiding, but they are alive thanks to the joint efforts of the clans and the pixie knots. The Lunas now have retrieved their own queen, a foul, evil specimen, making the Dark Alliance stronger than it has ever been. I'm not... She stopped and looked down at my raised hand. It was all I could think to do. She was saying so much so fast, it was the only way I could politely ask to jump in. Yes? she asked. We are aware that our queen has passed on, your majesty. But a new queen has been born. My sister, Emerald Wingling. I pulled the wrap from my sister and revealed her glowing face. The council again erupted into chatter. M cooed happily from all the attention. The Tulip Queen stood. Willem, may I speak to you in private? Of course. I placed the wrap back over M, and the guards led us and the Queen into a private room. She waited for the door to close. Have you kept her hidden from the dark? she asked. Have they not come looking for her? They've pursued us since the day she was born. My Dan Ma decided we needed to take her to the Temples of Light to shield her from the darkness. Maybe keep her there until she came of age to take the throne. I've taken her protection upon myself. The queen didn't look like she believed me. How did you keep the dark at bay? I pointed to my sheath. I was given this saxlin, Gabriel, by a friend, well, former friend, a man by the name of Magborn. The name made the queen stop. A saxlin from the Magborn? How do you know him? Where did you see him last? We met in the Jelly Tree Forest. He was helping me in my quest, and we made it as far as Crow, and then he left. Left where? If I knew that, I probably wouldn't be here. The Tulip Queen looked me over suspiciously. I'm not sure I can believe you, Willem Wingling. You have spun some tall tales for me this night. We have punishments you cannot imagine for those who deceive the Queen. The tulips on her collar shriveled and wilted even more. I didn't come here to convince you of what I already know to be true, your highness. I ask that you help restore my parents' memory and direct us to the temples. You are bold, young Will. 
which I respect, and if what you are claiming is true, then your position is nothing short of miraculous. But we have been tricked by the dark before, coaxed into revealing the secret hiding places of allies and friends, a mistake I will not make again. I stepped forward. Tell me how I can prove myself, that I may earn your trust. The queen looked me over thoughtfully, and then said, We have not been without our problems here among the swamps. In fact, we are prisoners in our own kingdom. We were able to fight off the first wave of minions who attacked us, but the Dark has set a bungabow to patrol our pond and ensure none of us escape while they send reinforcements. The bungabow has proved too dangerous for some of my finest warriors. She paused for a rare breath. If you can defeat this horde creature that blocks our escape, you will not only have my trust, but I will grant you your wish. I can tell you where the Temples of Light are and how to heal your parents. I hesitated. I'd never heard of a bungabow, but it must have been truly dreadful if the Queen's finest had fallen to it. Taking it on would not only put myself at great risk, but Emerald as well. Then again, if there is one thing I learned aboard the Jolly Leafer, it was that the light always outshines the darkness— Magborn may have abandoned me, left me when I needed him most, but he didn't do so without instilling within me a new burst of bravery. If I defeated the Bungabow, I might get more than I asked for, a positive first step towards a new alliance with the Tulip Clan. We have a deal, I said. The Queen gave me a surprised smile. The tulips around her collar bloomed and regained their full color. Good. I'll have my guards show you where to find them. Light with you, Willem Wingling. May the pixie shine brightly upon you. I bowed and left the room. Tim and my parents waited in the council room. Quickly I told them about our agreement. Tim was not happy to hear it. He gave me a tulip earful of complaints, but that wasn't going to stop me. I told him it didn't matter for him none. I was going at it alone. Reluctantly, I handed M to my ma and stepped out of the palace with the chubby guard assigned to me. He led me out onto the giant log and pointed off over the pond with his red sword. There she is, he said, always in the trees, never sleeping, always walking, always hungry. I squinted my eyes to try and make out the creature behind the thick shrub. Booming footsteps thundered in the darkness. Trees creaked. Bushes swayed. Then I saw it. My eyes slowly traced it up and up and up to its head. My jaw dropped as it let out a deep, bellowing roar. Listen, Rocketeers, I wasn't originally going to leave you on that intense of a cliffhanger, but my episode was getting a little long, and I realized it needed to be split in two, so sorry. But don't worry, the next episode will be nice and juicy. Let's review a little what we learned about swamps. 
Swamps are shallow bodies of water, usually resting in some type of depression, around rivers or lakes or in other places. And swamps are home to all sorts of wildlife, whether it be big, beautiful cypress trees, tall grasses, various types of shrubs. And like I said, there are frogs, bugs, alligators, all sorts of animals I call swamps home. And you can find swamps all over the world. In the United States, you'll find a lot of them in the south. Find them in parts of the bayou, Louisiana. You'll find them in Florida. There are a ton of them. In fact, just recently, my family and I took a trip to the Gulf Coast in Texas, to South Padre Island, and there was a wetland refuge, and there were a bunch of swamps right there off the coast, and it was surprisingly beautiful. There were birds all over the place, and I remember as we were walking down these paths, we were looking at the birds, and I was really impressed, but then I got kind of sick of the birds. I'm like, okay, come on, there's got to be something better. They told us in this pamphlet we would see an alligator. I'm not seeing any alligators. So I'm walking with my wife and my four-year-old daughter, my one-year-old son, and we're walking on these paths looking for this alligator. I'm getting anxious. I need to find this thing. And we are walking forever. And finally, at the very end of this path, we see it. And its huge head is just popping out of the water, and its beady eyes are just blinking away the flies, and it's staring at us. And my daughter's like, Daddy, I want to see it closer, Daddy. Please, Daddy. And so I said, no problem, honey. And I dove into that water and I grabbed that alligator and I wrestled him around. And I dragged him out of the water and pulled him onto the path. And I said, crikey. I didn't do that. None of that happened. We did see an alligator, though, and I was probably more scared than my daughter was of it. So we didn't stick around very long. But the moral of that story is swamps are cool. And if you have one anywhere near you, you should go explore preferably with a parent. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Winglings Under the Willow Tree, a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and join us next week for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.